This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing and a miss, strike three, it's over! The Red Sox have won the world championship! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Facebook Live, the podcast, as always, can be found on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and the link to our Apple Podcast feed is actually right above your video window. Click that, subscribe. All of our shows can be found right there. And if you would be so kind, give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, feel free to make fun of any one of us, especially Jeremy. And, uh, yes, so find us all right there. Red Sox are wrapping up a three-game set right now. Currently in the lead in Game 3 after dropping the first two uh, games of the series. So, best the Red Sox can do against the Blue Jays is uh, one out of three. Doesn't matter. Season's over. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling and Liz Churchville, how are you, fine people? Don't like being chirped in the intro. <laughs> well, I gave them the option of making fun of me, and if you've read some of them, I they, accept. They I certainly accept. have. So, uh, for everyone kind of tuning in right now, we will be discussing uh, more about the Dombrowski situation, especially since now we have some timelines, some answers to some questions, not answers to all the questions, but some. And then Alex Cora, it was announced, let's see, two days ago that he would indeed be returning for the 2020 season. So we will uh, dive into that. So uh, just getting into a super brief timeline here, diving right into it. On uh, Sunday night, uh, around the second inning, uh, John Henry and uh, Tom Warner, Sam Kennedy, informed Dave Dombrowski that he would be essentially fired as the president of baseball operations. It said that Dave Dombrowski uh, left the park shortly thereafter. Game continued on. Uh, Jared Carabas had an ominous tweet at 11.47 p.m., which was nine minutes before the final out of the game, saying that there was major drama behind the scenes of Fenway Park. Other tweets uh, similar came out. Game ends at 11.56 p.m. 
Alex Cora was immediately confronted by John Henry, Tom Warner, Sam Kennedy, and uh, was informed right then that Dave Dombrowski was no longer a part of the Red Sox organization. Uh, the Alex Cora was said to be pretty stunned, as were uh, the Red Sox players. Cora broke the news uh, to them uh, almost immediately after he was informed. And then, of course, the uh, press corps for the Red Sox was informed at 12.06 p.m., exactly 10 minutes after the game had ended. So it started spreading like wildfire right around midnight. So now that we know a lot of this and the pieces are in place, here's my here's my number one question. How come there was no self-awareness on the part of Alex Cora and and uh, you know the the Red Sox team? Like I we and before you do answer, we knew on this podcast, all four of us hosts had speculated that Dave Dombrowski would likely be fired. So why didn't why didn't the players know and why didn't Alex Cora know? Why were they stunned and we got what we expected? Godless. I mean, could they just be saying that they were and that's not true? Or, I mean, how many, I mean, forgive me for not knowing this, but how many years was he GM, head of baseball operations? This was about to be the end of his fourth season. And uh, just a reminder, he has finished first in every season except for this one. I mean, that alone, I guess, could cause some shock. Like, one rough season, one rough spot in his record, you know, that could be that. Because they're not going to follow, obviously, what any fan or any any <clears throat> other, like, media source, you know, might be saying or something like that. It's just totally hearsay. That's, that's all I can think. I, I don't know that or they're completely lying. <laughs> I, I I would. They're surprised because I think internally he was the boss, and there was no indication before he got fired that he wasn't going to be in that role. It's a little confusing that they did it in the middle of a game with three weeks left in the season in the second inning. You know, during a game when all the players, coaching, you know, whatever was on the field. Which leads me to believe that there was some, I, I don't understand why, but some backhanded approach to it. it it's like totally eludes me. I, I think that the theory that I was uh, putting forth last podcast was that it, they were trying to basically be in the shadow of the Patriots. To me, this solidifies that or furthers that. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense as far as finding the next guy. Um, you put the players coming off the field in a bad spot by by having them come off. You know, they they come off the field in that Yankees game and they don't even know what's happened. Probably. So I, I don't know. I mean, my question: to, if they actually sat for a news conference and didn't put Alex Core out in front of this, is why why do it when you did it? 
why not wait to the end of the season? Um, so I, I don't know. The, the other thing that's come out a little bit is that he was he had secluded himself from the rest of management and was kind of doing things on his own. And so for whatever reason, maybe they just kind of wanted to put an end to that and they had decided internally that he wasn't going to be there. So when they made that decision, could have been that day, could have been that evening, whatever. They just said, let's just pull the Band-Aid and go get him. It's very confusing, though. It just doesn't make any sense. Good, well-run organizations don't do stuff like this. Yeah, I just, I mean, the team, at least from a pitching standpoint, has been so bad. And it's just, it's just strange to me that they didn't see the writing on the wall. Like, I don't know. I did notice, though, in in recent uh, weeks and even recent days leading up to Sunday, Dave Dombrowski, when interviewed, when he would appear on Nesson, didn't look like a guy who was who was in fear of losing his job or expected to lose his job. I think he was operating on the mindset. He has won three straight AL East titles. He's the president of operations of the reigning world champions. I just think in his mind, he figured he was coming back one way or the other. And I don't know. So one of the things that, first triggered me to this being a possibility was last year after the world series when they didn't extend him it signified to me that maybe their plan was he comes in with our assets with the play with the minor league system where it is he flips it into an elite major league roster wins and then leaves and there was no expectation that he would be here for a second contract because that's how it kind of played out. I mean, he wins, he goes first place, then he's first place with the best team in the history of the Boston Red Sox, wins the World Series. They don't extend him. There was no reason to think in late October of 2018 that this team wasn't going to be good. Now, hindsight being what it is, they underachieved, they sucked. He, he, he failed in multiple spots, extending guys like Pierce. Um, leaving Pedroia to be in a position to allegedly be the starting second baseman. The bullpen was an absolute dumpster fire, and the pitching rotation was an absolute dumpster fire, and it looks like the sale contract's really kind of going to be a problem. So fine, but they made the decision before all that to not extend him and lead him into this year to, to be, you know, a lame duck general manager. Or he wasn't a general president of baseball operations. So I don't know, man. I, I really do think that, they knew what he was coming in. They knew it was going to be a, a four-year Band-Aid, and then they were going to go get someone that was a little bit more well-rounded as far as the baseball mind. There's no other explanation. you know. And I'm not convinced that if this year went differently that they still wouldn't have moved on from him based on some of the reports I'm seeing about how he just doesn't get along with anybody. Well, that also is a story... Uh... Dan Shaughnessy was the first to report that there was a little bit of a disconnect in the front office. Uh, Dave Dombrowski basically, uh, in the end, was only, 
you know, hanging out with uh, Frank Wren and Tony LaRussa, who were, you know, assistant, whatever <laughs> their titles were, but they were his right, right hand men. And he was basically, you know, just kind of bouncing ideas off of them. And the rest of the front office was shut out. Uh, once Dombrowski was fired, uh, Eddie Romero, Brian O'Halloran, Zach uh, Scott, and Raquel Ferreira uh, basically all took over. And their assistant, uh, you know, general managers or whatever, and those would have been the people that Dombrowski would be kind of collaborating with if the front office was functioning like, you know, a, a present day, you know, 2019 front office. So I'm just wondering if there was a tug of war at that point, you know, between that group of four and then Dombrowski and his crew and then ownership, you know, eventually was won over by the Romero and O'Halloran group. I mean, to me, that seems like an in, one of those intangibles, just like we've talked about before, as far as, you know, like on the team, like somebody who maybe, like, as to compare him to a player, let's say, like somebody who is is okay and maybe, you know, could get sent down if that's an option or could be, you know, let go or whatever, but because of their actions within the clubhouse, that's why they were kept around. They're a good clubhouse person. You know, it almost seems like it could be something along those lines. And that's what was making those decisions and things that could have been said before contracts were even signed. Like he could have been saying, Hey, I'm thinking about extending sale. And everybody else who he's not talking to is thinking, Hey, that's fucking crazy. Don't do that. But, but at the, at the end of the day, like he's the one who makes the decision. So he did it. And it's like, obviously, at least right now, that seems like a bust um, in everything. So him not being a good team player or he's not playing well in the sandbox with everybody else who needs to be in a grand, you know, any other company, you know, might, might let somebody go for that. So why not them? You know, I mean, it's just, and that could be why the, the players wouldn't be privy to that. You know, Cora may or may not be privy, you know, to those things. So, I mean, that could explain the surprise. I just, getting back to the accountability thing and the self-awareness thing, I mean, the players, somebody had to be held accountable for their lack of performance. And it's just extremely concerning to me that, they didn't think anybody was going to get held accountable. And so now everybody's stunned. I just, there was a, there was a major disconnect somewhere. And I think that kind of, that translated to the lack of performance that we saw this year. And it's just, it's just frustrating. I mean, I'm going to assume Dombrowski's thought was, what was he going to do 
to send a tone, whether it maybe was fire Cora, maybe, maybe that was his plan and management chose Cora over him. Maybe he was planning on firing LaVange, um, the pitching coach, and they still probably will do that anyways. But, you know, he probably had a plan in place for who he was going to scapegoat for the season. Um, but he never got a chance, and a large portion of that, I think, was obvious, the fact that they didn't extend him after the historic season, a season where they leaned heavily on people he acquired. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've mentioned it on the last podcast. So I don't want to say it a bunch, but he's not right for this team moving forward. To me, that was clear. If it was up to Dombrowski, he'd give Mookie Betts $350, $400 million. He'd take whatever assets we have, flip them into two bullpen arms, and he'd roll back into the 2020 season with substantially the exact same roster. That's not what's in the best interest of the long-term health that of the program. That's in the best interest of the short-term health of the program and trying to win in 2020. You're a Boston franchise. You have to be competitive every year. The fan base will eat you alive and then consume the other three sports and leave you alone to, to, so your revenue dives. And the, the business side, Sam Kennedy, John Henry, Warner, the nerds, I say that with affection because I'm a nerd. <laughs> I say that with a see Liz, you know, derogatory laughter there. I don't know if I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate the, your comments. I think they're the hilarious. nerds, the nerds understand that, and they're like, "No, we can't go all in in 2020, and then in 2021 revert back to the Johnny uh, to the uh, Valentine year. You have to be competitive every year because the rest of the city will leave you in the dust, and you will become a second-rate citizen, and you, and the people will not spend money on your product when they have the Patriots, Bruins, and Celtics all." all in position to, to be winners for years to come. They understand that, and Dombrowski wasn't for that. That or was not, is not the right guy to be competitive and build for the future. He wasn't going to do it. He, he was going to throw a Brinks truck at Mookie and trap him inside it and not let him leave Boston. He's got to go. He has to. You just can't invest that much money in one player. And you can't build a bullpen. And he doesn't have assets to do it with any elite players. So he, he, if he wasn't going to blow through whatever minor league players we had left, he was just going to throw money at it. And you can't keep doing that. So, I mean, long story short, in my opinion, it's the right move. I don't know who's coming next. Um, I do trust the baseball people in place. It's not like they fired him and his whole staff. They only fired him as, so far. So there's a bunch of people in place that have been in the organization, that have been a part of the thing that I think are going to either promote from within or hire someone that makes sense for what they need, which, you know, like I said on the last podcast, is someone that can draft, can run the scouting department, and can find players without having to just pay top dollar for them. I don't know who it's going to be, but that's what they need. Uh, I want to go back to 2017 here. Um at the trade deadline, I got two different articles. I'm wondering how long the you know the the wall that divided Dombrowski and his crew between the you know Romero, O'Halloran, Scott, and Ferreira group. How long the wall divided them? 
there was a report uh, just after the trade deadline that Red Sox ownership instructed President Dave Dombrowski to avoid dealing any top prospects at that deadline because the goal was to stay under the uh, to get under the luxury tax at the end of the season to reset the penalties and by doing that that paved the way for uh, JD Martinez to um, you know get signed but here's a quote it says two teams that dealt with the Red Sox leading up to the trade deadline got the distinct impression Dombrowski was not in a position to include any of the Red Sox top prospects in any deals and indeed, another industry source confirmed Red Sox upper management and ownership made it clear to Dombrowski that the organization's premier prospects were not to be dealt. So I'm just wondering how much power Dombrowski had and for ownership to kind of step in on him ownership must have been influenced by the Romero group. Somebody is advising ownership to not let Dombrowski take any more top prospects. And that was going back to 2017. How about they had a brain and said, after we just dealt eight of our top 15 prospects for Kimbrell and sale, we can't keep doing that. Plus, you know what Dombrowski is, which is he'll take every asset Flip him into every single potential help to the major league roster to win a World Series. He doesn't. He doesn't care. And who is he drafted in four years that we're expecting to 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 be a contributor in the next two years? <laughs> I, I mean, uh... so they see it. They see it and they identify it and they go, "Okay, look, we gave you a, a leash. You flipped it into Kimbrel and Sale. You spent the money on, you know, some guys." Uh, you flipped an asset for Pierce, which was not a big deal because it, I don't think it was a significant asset. But but there gets to a point where it's like, Dave, if you keep, if you just go with everyone that has any talent, we're going to go through a five-year lull where we just can't be competitive. Or if we are competitive, it's we're, we're spending $300 million when the luxury tax is 205 and it's you're still probably going to be top heavy with a with a thin roster that doesn't have the depth necessary to, to make an October type run. So, look, to me that's smart. I, I don't. I mean, well, you I'm, know, I'm just saying you, you, you can't you can't just keep subtracting until it's like negative numbers. I guess the point in that was ownership was setting parameters all along. It's not like you know. He had free reign and then suddenly got fired the other night. And a a separate article lists uh, the specific prospects he was not to trade as Rafael Devers, who had not made his debut yet. He was within days of doing so. Wasn't allowed to trade Devers. Wasn't allowed to trade Jay Groom, Sam Travis, or Michael Chavis. Now, Chavis... Devers and Groom are all going to most likely be key cogs of our future. And apparently Dombrowski might have wanted to deal them. And you got to consider the position the Red Sox were in. 
They had just been swept by the Cleveland Indians in the previous postseason. Red Sox were well on their way to winning the division this trade deadline that we're discussing and uh, ultimately ended up playing the Astros and uh, got tossed. But I, I think Dombrowski just had tunnel vision and was trying to go deep that that's off season And I don't know. And it just fast forwarding to this past Sunday, there just, there must've been a lot that the Red Sox ownership was uncomfortable with Dombrowski, you know, uh, you know, as as each season unfolded, and well, I mean, again, go ahead. Oh no! Well, I, I mean, I'm probably coming at at the extreme wrong time, so it's probably better if you go because I was just when I think about losing a GM and how it impacted it. Well, it really didn't impact us, I guess, very much. Uh, cash probably impacted. Uh, or losing Madden probably impacted the Rays more than losing Andrew Friedman. But I'm wondering if, I mean, they could have let Dombrowski go no matter what. I mean, they didn't, like Jeremy said, you know, they didn't extend him. They were probably going to do it. You know, I don't know why they would have let him go before the end of the season, you know, just like you guys have said. But, um, but I mean, I, I was just looking at Andrew Friedman, and his time with the Dodgers is up. You know, he's young. They haven't extended him. I mean, the Dodgers have been doing what they're doing. So, I mean, you think they did that so they could start, you know, reaching out to Friedman and getting him? Because, I I mean, I didn't read the article. I just see the little headline here for uh, DodgersNation.com. And they're speculating that the Red Sox could be targeting him. And he, I mean, he could be an impact, you know, he could be an impact person in that front office. And, uh, I mean, he did what he did for the Rays, and the only reason why he could leave was because Madden left, and that that was pretty, you know, interesting how they had that. And then, you know, the Dodgers, for for whatever reason, you know, I don't know, you know, don't want to keep him or haven't extended him as of yet. And um, the Red Sox have an opening, so uh, we all know how we can build, you know, what he did with the Rays. So, I mean, that could be that could be something there. Hey, Liz, um, I don't know if you know this about Boston sports or not. I know you're you're a fan, but it's kind of <laughs> not a fan. peripheral fan. You know, you're kind of on the outside just pretending like you're not. Uh, you just described tampering, um, which they can't do and they would never do, obviously. Oh. It's something we don't subscribe to. He's under contract. Uh, now, with that said, in the offseason, who knows if he isn't under contract and his contract expires after the last day of the World Series or whatever the rule is. Um, I think everyone's on the table, and I and I think one of the things they're showing, if they're doing this with any purpose at all, which they couldn't, I mean, they easily could just be flying by the seat of their pants. It's that they're sign- signaling that they're going to take their time and they're going to find the right guy. And if that's the case, then I think everyone's on the table, um, including people from the Dodgers organization, whether it be the the current guy or somebody under him, because they obviously have a track record of manipulating the major league roster in such a fashion that they continue to be competitive um, every single year. And, uh, you know, they overcame some problems with uh, the Beckett Crawford situation, Gonzalez. um, And they found a way to do it basically without a rebuild year. So it's been really impressive. Um, I just don't know that, 
poaching a guy is necessarily the right thing. I'd like to think that they've been hiring depth in the organization and they can promote, promote within with someone that understands the current pieces in place. Because, look, we're still 70. We're about to be 77 and 70, I think. You still have a great core. If you can have somebody within the organization that understands what's going on and just comes back to working with the other team members ends this whole like weird silence that Dombrowski had created with just himself and and Larusa. I think there's not necessarily a lot to be done in the next year. Obviously Mookie's gonna be a big big factor in that, but the big heavy lifting's probably rec- uh, scouting, drafting, and then two years from now when you start to have issues re signing the core. Um, you know, now with that said Touching on my last point, management overseeing Dombrowski is the right move because could you imagine if Devers was having this MVP year at the age of 22 on, you know, another franchise? You know, it just, you, you can't trade everybody. You just can't. There has to be balance to the way you run an organization. And that's one of the things I loved about Theo Epstein and why I would like him back. He found a way to have homegrown talent, whether it was Lester starting pitching, you know, getting Lowell, getting Schilling, um, while simultaneously drafting and, and developing guys like Ellsbury and Euclid. It was always a two-headed monster with him, and there was always talent in the pipeline. A balanced head of baseball operations slash general manager is what this team needs moving forward. And I don't want Dombrowski was going to never be him. He's 65 when he signed, he was never going to be here for 15 years. Find someone that can be the head of the, of the baseball operations for a long time to come that can run a balanced program that keeps you relevant and still allows you to flash every few years where you become, you can become a world series caliber team. Uh, like Andrew Friedman. So um, wh- my question is, so is anybody still in the front office that was there when Theo Epstein was? Yeah, Eddie Romero. Probably not. That was a long time ago, but. Eddie Romero has been there uh, since 2006. So the bulk of the Epstein-Sherrington era. And, I mean, even though the four of them are technically in charge, it's Romero's group. So, and, I mean, he may be the guy. Let me say this about Andrew Friedman, though. Um, he didn't. He kind of. He got to LA uh, after the 2014 season, so that was before the uh, Beckett. Uh, excuse me, that was after the Beckett Crawford deal. So he kind of inherited those guys, and it took him a few years to do it. But eventually, you know, he got rid of those guys, Beckett, uh, Gonzalez. Matt Kemp, there was a little bit of, um, I don't know, contract flipping and salary dumping in there, but he eventually got the roster to what it is, and they don't have any bad contracts on the books, they're well positioned to spend money, they have a talented farm system, and as Liz knows, Friedman's the architect of that 2008 team that knocked the Red Sox out of the ALCS, went to the World Series. So I had a top 10 list the other day of, uh, you know, my top GMs in the sport. And I put Friedman number two, and I put Jeffrey Lunau uh, number one. 
I was so conflicted. I almost put Friedman number one, but the Astros beat them a few years ago, and I think the Astros at this point are the front runner. So I'd love to have Friedman. I can't imagine, even with his contract up, that he'd want to leave the Dodgers system and not finish what he started because, like I said, they are well positioned. And, Jeremy, you mentioned the tampering issue. I think as long as the Red Sox ask for permission – they they can talk to them if the if the Dodgers allow it. Well, and the reason yeah. the reason why just before you uh, speak on that, Jeremy, the reason why I asked if there was anybody left from the Epstein uh, era was because I really feel like Epstein knew he had to have known he had to have known about uh, Madden having this little window in his contract. And I forget what it was now. I need to look it up. But he had like a slight like window in his contract to be able to opt out, and that's when the Cubs got him. You know, and even though they're hating on him now, I don't know if they ended up extending him or what they're doing because I think that's a bunch of crap too. But um, and they're not going to get somebody like Madden to replace him. But I feel like if that is still like a thing. And, you know, he's whoever, um, I'm sorry, I forgot his name, (laughs) who is left from Epstein's era is like, hmm, who can, who's coming up in their contract? Who's looking good? You know, what, what can we, what can we possibly get and woo them over, you know, to us? You know, maybe not in the same way they did Madden, but it it could be a similar situation. I mean, and Boston's a big market team, so I I could totally see him going there. If the Dodgers don't, don't want him, don't want to extend him. I mean, why? I don't see why he wouldn't want to go to Boston, personally. I think I just think he's going to stay in L.A. And that clause you were talking about was just simply that if Friedman left the Tampa organization, ah, uh, Madden had uh, an opt-out. And Epstein must have known about it because there was no reports of Madden opting out. It was just suddenly... Madden's yeah. going to the Cubs. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. I, he he kept saying, Oh yeah, I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm here, blah blah blah. Yeah, no. Yeah, that that's what was so crappy for us, which I know we don't, you know, talk too much about the race, but but anyway, yeah, that's what that's what makes me think it's even more of a possibility is one is other that. one other tidbit about all that. The season before uh the um the Cubs went after Dale Swaim, which is the guy that Ben Sherrington wanted to hire until ownership stepped on his toes and forced Valentine on him. So then Epstein's like, ooh, Dale Swaim. So he swoops in and signs him. And Swaim was there for a season or two. And then, um, of course, uh, Madden became available. And that was a no-brainer. And Madden went on to take the... Cubs to three straight a uh, excuse me NLCS appearances. So just interesting how the musical chairs plays out. Jeremy, you had something you wanted to add? Of course, Liz would think that he would want to be in Boston. She loves Boston. <laughs> yeah. No. Even though, even though I'm going to be in Boston next week, <laughs> next weekend. Oh yeah, of course. 
another thing too about the Dodgers, they just lost their number two guy to the Giants, Farhan Zahidi, I think is how you pronounce it. And apparently he's a brilliant, um, you know, baseball mind. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. He's got no farm system to work with and is going to basically, it's going to take the Giants a while to, to get right again. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into the Epstein thing this episode. I'm not. I just. I'll reiterate. I, I'd rather just have a, a fresher name. My suspicion, though, is that Eddie Romero will get it, and I don't. It'll kind of look like a hit job or like a takeover type thing, you know. Now that Dombrowski's gone, the the next guy in line in the organization kind of you know, took the reins, but that's my expectation right now. Another name that keeps getting brought up that won't go away is Mike Hazen uh, from the Diamondbacks who uh, left uh, to become the general manager of that team at the start of the uh, 2017 season and then took Tori Lovello with him. So another name to kind of keep an eye on right now. We always do that. We always think the people that leave want to come back. I, I don't. Seems like they got a thing going over there. I and it's, that's it's maybe not happening as fast as they want it to, but I, I don't know. Lavella's a good guy, a good manager. He's going to be there, I think. I, I don't know. I look just find a fresh start. I you know. I wish I knew more about some of the organizational depth in that spot because I would I, I'm I'm always a fan of promoting within because it creates consistency while you're facing change. And there it's multi layered. One if just the voice change can be a factor, especially if, if what we're hearing is true with Dombrowski basically just being a prick and kinda of going out on his own and really limiting who he's collaborating with. Um the, the, the guy from within is going to know the deeper parts of the organization, like the scouting department, the people that are specifically out there scouting, the trust level in each scout, you know, and what they can find. Because uh, it trickles down to the draft, which trickles down to, you know, eventually the guys you pick being ready quicker. And if you bring someone from a different organization, they have to learn – they still have to adapt and learn to new talent, whether it be in the international pool, whether it be in college and high school. But then they also have to learn the organization, and they have to learn what John uh, Henry wants and Werner wants and Sam Kennedy wants, and they have to learn Cora and the current roster. And I understand that that's per- obviously capable of a good baseball mind, but to me – um, this team isn't so far away. They they just need a different voice, a little bit of more of a conservative, balanced voice. And so, you know, I don't know who it's going to be, and I'm not going to pretend to know like every general manager candidate and their name and qualifications. But it just seems to me that if you have spent the last uh, four years and beyond hiring and cultivating talent, and you should have someone there that is ready to move on and adapt and and take on a higher role. So, but it'll be interesting. I think we're going to see something happen by uh, 
by like November fifteenth because they got to do they got to make it a quick turnover so that they can handle the Mookie situation and all the things that need to go into twenty twenty. I actually think it has to happen probably by November first because the within ten days of the World Series is when players have like Martinez for instance have to opt out. Uh, qualifying Which may be one of the reasons why they did it on a Sunday night in early September instead of waiting. Yeah, I mean, they might still need permission to talk to certain people, but um, but that could be. I mean, they were talking to Alex Cora before um, before <laughs> before the. Uh, I think they even played each other uh, in the playoffs. Because, and this is obviously a manager position versus a, a general manager position. But Cora, there was a story that he was sitting in his uh, hotel room just going over roster stuff and Red Sox stats and just kind of analyzing what he was going to have for the following year. And then he'd have to put that aside, put his Astros baseball cap on and go be the bench coach during the playoffs. So it's kind of funny how it all it all works out. Uh, going just, just to touch briefly on the process, the part of the reason that I want an external candidate is, you know, the, the Astros, the Braves, and the Dodgers right now, you know, are basically the new gold standard for how an organization is built and how teams identify value. And and I think they put a much bigger emphasis on the development aspect of, you know, of pitching and, and all kinds of things. So nobody in the Red Sox has experience with this newer style of roster building I mean, Hazen did come from this system under, you know, Epstein, Sherrington, and, and for one year, Dombrowski, and has has made some really good moves out in uh, Arizona, and I, I think has expedited their rebuild before this Mets series where they unfortunately got swept. They were only a game and a half out of the second wild card, so probably out of it. For now, but you know that that's that's an organization that's probably going to turn it around pretty quick. So I guess I don't know. I, I at the end of the day, you know, Dombrowski, the fire Dombrowski beggars can't be choosers necessarily. So at least it was short and painful. You know, unlike the Farrell uh, situation, which continued for two and a half years after he, you know, should have been fired. Um, over to Alex Cora now. Um, it was reported uh, the other day that he would indeed be back. I mean, he kind they kind of had to do it. it, it despite me saying it, it should be entirely up to the new incoming GM, I mean, no way could ownership get rid of him at this point because it, it would be an even bigger PR disaster than it already is. Yeah, I mean, and you're taking two significant heads of the baseball operations and making it making them start over. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, after a world, after a World Series year, and 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 the team is not far away. Again, I, I 
I, I do believe that you have to empower your general manager. But Cora, while a problem this year in 2019, was not the biggest problem. And I still think he's right for this program once they figure out the Mookie issue and build some, some arms in the bullpen and get Sale, Price, and Evaldi back after a, uh, an extended offseason. It just doesn't make sense to lop off that much of a World Series team. So, I mean, he does have some to blame. I think most of his blame is the start of the season and how he just d- didn't handle it appropriately with moving on from the World Series. But there was just no reason to put yourself back in the head coaching pool uh, now. And, and and by the way, as bad as their starting pitcher is a minor league starting pitching rotation, their bullpen is an absolute or has for the most part been an absolute dumpster fire. Um, they're still not terrible. They're still 76 and 70, and yeah, they're not in the playoff hunt, but they're probably going to finish over 500. And I think there's some credit there to Cora to, you know, the runs they've gone on to to stay somewhat competitive, although obviously it's over now because it's that late in the season. But I just don't see him as being a primary factor as to why they've underachieved as much as they have. Liz, any thoughts on Cora coming back? I mean, I feel like you can't, I mean, they can do whatever they want, clearly, but firing somebody after one or two seasons now, like, is just dumb, particularly after, particularly after winning the World Series, come on, I mean, I just feel like that's ridiculous, I mean, what kind of bar are you expecting to set, you're not going to have a guy that's going to come in, you know, out the gate, necessarily, I mean, you could, I, I guess, but. I don't know. I think that's dumb. I feel like any any manager, no matter what, needs needs a few seasons. Things are going to change. Players are going to change. I mean, we've historically seen. We talked about uh, last show, uh, last midweek show. You know, the historically horrible seasons. You know, where uh, players were signed based on their based on their signing year, and they were great that year, but then sucked. You know, the following year. I mean, shit happens. You know, basically. So uh, the manager can't be all to blame for that. I mean, there's lots of uh, lots of things that kind of come into play. So I would have thought that was pretty silly on their part if, if they were to fire him. But um, but I mean, I mean, I guess really that's it. I, I I'm definitely not a fan, Jeremy. But I I would not have known like what to say. Like I would have thought that was the dumbest the dumbest thing ever. Because sure, he was handed. He was handed this awesome team, but at the same time, like that—that's not going to get you to the World Series and win it. So, I mean, obviously, Cora had a big, big part to play in that, and one mediocre season is not worth a firing. He's got a, you know, the 108 win season. He needs five more wins for 2019 to officially be a winning season. Here's where it's going to get interesting. Cora was really emotional when Dombrowski, when he was told Dombrowski was fired, and and he he didn't want to comment on it after the game. He said he had just found out, and he just wasn't ready to talk about it. And then the next morning, he called Dombrowski and thanked him for giving him his first chance to manage and putting him in that position. And I get the impression very much it was almost like, 
a father-son relationship type thing. And go back to the Hanley-Ramirez situation. Apparently, it was Alex Cora who told Dave Dombrowski on the flight back from, I think, Tampa into into Boston. Dustin Pedroia was about to be activated, so there was going to have to be a corresponding move. And the expectation was that Blake Swihart, and uh, I think it was June of, of that year, 2018, was going to be designated for assignment and, and essentially be the odd man out. And stunningly, the next uh, morning, it was announced that Hanley Ramirez was designated for assignment. And it came out later that day that Alex Cora made that recommendation to Dave Dombrowski. So when you have moves like that going on, and then there's a whole group of people, you know, Romero, O'Halloran, Scott, Ferreira, they're all getting, they're all getting, you know, the cold shoulder while Dombrowski and his boys make these decisions. Cora had influence on it. I think I, what I'm getting at here is even though Alex Cora is coming back, he's, he's living in a different world now and he's not going to have that, you know, he's probably not going to have the same influence going forward that he's had the last two seasons. Yeah, I agree. And I think whoever becomes the president of baseball operations or the general manager will use Cora as a scapegoat for any failure. Whether it's another 4-11 and start, whether it's just another bad season. I mean, he's his job is not so secure that he's guaranteed to be here in 2021. I don't believe it is. Here's another thing. This came to mind, and I'm only speculating. You know, I, I haven't seen reports of this. Um, and the, what led me to this thought was uh, the Xander Bogarts press conference where Scott Boris, I've only read it in text, so I didn't hear him say it, you know, which might have helped me get the context a little better. But as Boris was wrapping up his comments on the signing uh, during the press conference for it, Boris says to Alex Corey, he goes, you can stop leaving me, you can stop leaving me voice messages to get this deal done, Alex Cora. So I think what, what I'm wondering, I guess, is we question the Evaldi signing. We question at least the timing of the sale signing. Those are Dombrowski moves. We don't know what those other four assistant general managers thought of them. I'm, I'm assuming they didn't like at least one of those moves. But I'm wondering if Alex Cora also had a huge influence on signings as well, which is not something you ever really hear about with with managers. And we won't unless Dombrowski uh, writes a tell-all book. Now, look, it's a little short-sighted to just speak to his failures because <clears> – <throat> as a couple of our listeners chirped about us uh, last week, he's been really successful in a bunch of things. And I give him full credit for a lot of what happened, including the 108-win season. 
Uh, tonight, Xander Bogarts, this is according to MLB.com, Xander Bogarts joins Alex Rodriguez, who did it in 1996, which I think was he was still in Seattle, as the only shortstops in history to have 50 doubles and 30 home runs in the same season while playing what I would consider at least plus defense. So he did uh, and was responsible for signing Xander. So it's just not all bad. Um, the Kimbrel trade will go down as a overwhelmingly positive situation. The Pierce signing last year is going to is I mean you don't we don't need hindsight. It was a tremendous move. He won the uh, World Series MVP. He did a lot, um, and I think if Dombrowski was forty five and was a little bit more well rounded, even given the personality conflict, he'd be here. But he is he's he's approaching retirement age, and he's not the guy that's right for what this program needs moving forward. And it's not just like theoretical. He showed when he was with the Marlins, the Tigers, and now the Red Sox that he's not their guy to to handle a rebuild or certainly trying to do a rebuild simultaneously while staying competitive. He's just not. So to me, the, the move makes a ton of sense. I just don't want to lose sight of the fact that we, as a fan base, owe a lot to him. And he did a lot of positive things and his last parting gift was getting Xander to sign here at a cost that didn't break the bank and was a as a was what I would consider a fair market value deal. Well, I mean I put that more on Bogarts. I mean he wanted to stay here. He told his agent to simply get the best deal that he could. That's what it ended up being. I can't really trash the Kimbrel trade. I mean he, for the most part, held down you're, the ninth inning. You're you're such a broken brain, bro. <laughs> Everything is, I can't trash it because I want to. It's like, just have a positive outlook. We've had a great four seasons under Dombrowski. Yeah, the last season sucked. It's been completely underwhelming. No, it's been... Okay, I, 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 gotta, goes to show, I guess I have to finish my point, though, Jeremy. Um, and, and I'll pick it up where I left off with Kimbrell. It wasn't a great fit. He couldn't pitch out of the ninth inning. He was extremely finicky. He's the only Red Sox closer to not record the final out of a World Series. Folk did it, 2004. Papelbon, 2007. And uh, Uihara, 2013. I give Alex Cora the most credit for, for winning that World Series, for engineering that plan. If this was John Farrell in 2018, if he wasn't fired after two consecutive first place finishes, we get bounced right away. We probably don't even beat the Yankees because Cor- uh, because Farrell's not that smart. Cora was, and he could he could help offset where Dombrowski just wasn't that strong. I mean, we've trashed on <laughs> just in in recent episodes have trashed Dombrowski's record of building bullpens he just couldn't do it and i don't know where we would be right now if it was you know if we had a better bullpen we had a nine game losing streak we had a rough start to the year i don't know i i think i think dombrowski is easily the worst of of any of the general managers that that won the world series before us and I don't think he's ever going to have another job as a top executive. Come on, man. <laughs> Sale closed the ninth 
of that Dodgers series, partly because he wasn't healthy to start. And he obviously is a little bit of a different personality. And he couldn't they locate found a his need fastball. For him. Some of it was Kimbrel wasn't great in that postseason run, but over his tenure as a Red Sox, he cured a lot of the problems that that bullpen faced. Um, I mean, he wasn't perfect. He never pitched well in, in non-save situations. He struggled in multiple uh, when he had to pitch more than than you know one inning, even if it was like you know get the third out of the eighth and then get up and get down, you know get down and get up for the ninth. He struggled in those situations, but the ninth was in save situations. Really, he was really really successful, and I you know I just. I don't know, man. Every <laughs> everything is everything is met with like, well, hey, that Xander signing made a lot of sense for both sides. Well, I give all the credit to Xander. Okay, well, I mean, he made it on, easy. <laughs> you you can't say that Xander Bogarts did not I make did, that the I, easiest. I signing. didn't. I've said that. I said that the day we went when okay. he signed, we I came on this podcast and I said that I gave him a ton of credit and I gave him a ton of credit in in light of his agent because his agent's a douche. So who 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 demands that his clients go into free agency and get the exact last dollar available? So I mean he is, but you also have to understand that they could have probably got the same thing out of Lester, and they fucked that thing up royally by lowballing him to a point where it insulted him, and he he was like, "Well, screw this, I'm out of here." Dombrowski still gets credit for that deal. I don't. I I know Xander gets a bunch of credit too, but. He still went and found the market value that that Xander wanted to stay here. That same thing gets handled with Lester. He's probably still pitching to Boston, and maybe you didn't don't go and sign the sale because Lester's here. I mean, I'm just saying that he that... he did go find a deal that made sense without alienating the athlete. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it was it was an easy it was an easy deal to do. It was... But that's fine. I mean, you just refuse to listen to anybody else's opinion, and you refuse to bend, and you you laugh it off. But I mean, it's a pretty good point, in my opinion. And I do think that uh, it takes two to make a deal. And he, ha- he, I mean, give him a small amount of credit for not alienating the athlete like they did with Lester. I mean, you have to at least admit that. He, no, he didn't mess it up. He, I mean, he didn't he didn't find a way to screw it up. No, absolutely not. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm just glad it's over. I mean, it would have been extremely painful to me if he didn't get fired. <laughs> I just can't, I, I just, I don't know what I'd do with myself if, if he was making those moves. He, he didn't put us in a position to be sustainable. Just, I, I hate to keep going back to this, but the Houston Astros had the balls to let Dallas Keuchel go. Dave Dombrowski's not that good. He, he's not good enough to, to let him go, and he's not smart enough to find a way to adequately replace him and, and have a, a strong pitching program, you know, from a, from a coaching standpoint in place to, to, to compensate for that. And I just, I, I'm not a Dombrowski guy. Wes, you've been so quiet over there. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, sometimes I just have to let you guys go because, <laughs> honestly, like I, uh, beyond what I've already said, uh, I have no thoughts. So, you guys are covering it. 
yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Terry's going to make his conclusion and not listen to well-reasoned uh, counterpoints. So I, I just, think that's my final I, thought on that. We're just giving our, our opinions. I mean, we're not we're not supposed to agree <laughs> necessarily. Oh. Um, Some people are a little more adaptive than others, but that's fine. Maybe a different podcast. Here's a question. Do, do you really want a podcast where everyone agrees? Wouldn't that be no? That's no, why but, our numbers but, are so better. I'm, you know, that's a little more adaptive. A little more. That's all. Just a touch more. We we destroy <laughs> other Red Sox podcasts because we are who we are. So uh, we're good. We are some totally of, good. Some of that is to a fault of the player or the person, but that's fine. Again, <laughs> you know, hands up. I'm going to back away Qu- from this. One. Question. Question. <laughs> um, Literally, hands up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. Which. Which contract pisses ownership off the most? The Chris Sale deal or the David Price deal? Both both played a part in Dombrowski getting fired, but which one irks ownership the most? I mean, I would think Sale. I mean, isn't it? I mean, Price happened a while ago, and how many years was it? I don't even remember. Uh, seven years, two hundred and seventeen million. Sales was five years, hundred and forty-five million. The the average annual value of both deals is pretty similar. So, yeah, I mean, I don't even think the. I feel like the reach is more important than the value for a team like the Red Sox. Like at this point, and as far as the decision making, and him jumping and signing Sale, you know, when he didn't have to, like you've said multiple times. I feel like that's more infuriating than signing Price in a free agency, you know, type situation. Oh no, no, well, yeah, in a free agency type situation. So, for me, it's sale because you've already got something out of the price, which validates the contract, even if it's still, you know, too broad. In terms of the you know the price, the years, whatever, he still gave you last year, and he was awesome. And with Sale being almost a nothing in that run, what Price did was that much more valuable. And you can always justify a long-term deal by the first portion of it. You know, um, you don't sign the superstar to be good for eight, like eight years. You sign him to be good for five, and then you have to deal with the last three to get the player. In his prime, um, you know, there's so many examples of that, in my opinion. And a lot of people don't like, and a lot of teams don't subscribe to that. That's why teams like the Devil Rays don't do that. And and there, you know, there's many examples of it. But but like for example, the Padres didn't just sign Manny Machado to what was it, ten years? If I'm wrong, Terry will eviscerate me. Uh, but they didn't years. sign him thinking he's going to be an all-star in year 10. They signed him saying he's going to be an all-star for the first six or seven. And then we'll deal with the last three so that we can get that first six. Because other teams will are willing to do this as well. Same thing with Bryce Harper. Same thing with uh, pull holes. Um, and in the, in the situation with Price, when he signed that contract, one, he was healthy. Two, I think he had just won a Cy Young with Detroit. And three, he performed in a year where they won 108 wins and was the unquestioned ace of the program all the way through and pitched in tough situations 
uh, overcame adversity and proved that he was capable of it, even if it was only a one-off. In the situation of Sale, you may not get anything from him in this deal. Like, whatever he contributed last year, which was less than an ace. I mean, again, he was pitching out of the bullpen because he had no, he, he did not have the ability to get to 100 pitches after, what, July 15th? I mean, he was not a starting pitcher after July 15th. And then this year, he gave you absolutely nothing. In fact, he's so bad that you constantly had to rely on guys like Hector Velasquez, Brian Johnson. You know, I can just go on and on and on for dumpster fire after dumpster fire. That it put so much pressure on other people that guys like Price broke down and Faldi broke down. The only, uh, Por- you know, Porcello and Erod stayed healthy, but, you know, Sale handicapped you significantly. And I'm going to just tell you right now. I'm rooting for his success because his success means success for the Boston Red Sox. But would anybody be surprised if we go through another situation next year where we get to July 15th and he's either not starting pitching, uh, starting games, or he's just not even active? I mean, it's a real and present danger. And then you still have him for four years at this exorbitant price tag. At least you got something at a, at a price. I mean, and Sale could have be having Tommy John by this time next year. But I don't discount Sale too much from 2018, though, because he did have a, a 10.0 war, which is astronomical. And I, he either just barely crossed the threshold of 150 innings or he just missed. But um, there, there was a debate whether or not he should get it over uh, Blake Snell. And, of course, I, I thought Snell deserved it more because – you know, he, he pitched more of the year, but, but, um, that being said, the, the concern going forward, there's probably more concern with, uh, sale than price. I mean, I can't dispute that, but I really think ownership is really sick of David price. I think they're just, I think they're done with him. They're sick of his antics. I think they were pissed that Dombrowski couldn't come up with a way to rein him in, whether that was immediate intervention from Dombrowski himself or collaborating with Cora and the coaching staff. I just, I just think they're so done with David Price. I couldn't agree more. And I'd add in not only phantom injuries, and the Fortnite thing and this, but the Eckersley situation, his inability to communicate in a positive way with a fan base, I think is annoying because they can't market him. Um, I mean, as much as he's revered in the clubhouse, which again is shocking, but that's, that's what it is. That's what everyone says. He's not marketable with fan base because they just don't like him. And that, and that pisses ownership off because they can't, make money off the athlete and they're paying him 30 million a year and they're not, you know, he's not partnered with Dunkin Donuts. He's not partnered with stop and shop or Shaw's or, you know, whatever is the other, you know, exclusive partner of the Boston Red Sox. They, they, they're getting nothing out of him. And then he's a problem. He's a problem on the field because he can't stay healthy. And then he causes a problem with uh, a radio, uh, a TV broadcaster where literally 98.7432% sided with the broadcaster because that's how much of a douchebag he is. So 
I totally agree. Which questions might take because I have green with Terry just seems you, you have twice tonight so far. But we have vehemently disagreed on a couple. So We've that, also yelled at each other and questioned did. each other's intelligence, which made me feel a lot better about things. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that offsets everything. Um, yeah, so... All right, yeah. So, I mean, just to touch on Cora again, um, he's, he's going to have to manage next year, and I don't know... If the new GM is going to set any parameters on him, but I don't think the general manager is going to act as his safety net. Like Alex Cora is going to have to effectively come up with solutions next year to whatever issues may arise. I mean, if the whole pitching staff goes on the DL, which would not shock me, then I guess there's not much you can do about that. But He's he's got to keep you know price reined in. No more controversies there. Um, you know, no no issues in the clubhouse. And you know, if the bullpen's having issues, he's got to solve that. I just I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, and I'll say this right now. I mean, I have to give the edge to the Yankees at this moment. Now, a whole slew of dominoes could fall that could get me to change my mind, and I'm quietly hoping that that's going to happen. But the Yankees right now are are set up a little bit better going into next year, especially if Severino is healthy. And I, so he's he's going to have his hands full next year for sure. Yeah, and there's a huge domino that has to fall, and that's Mookie. And if you do sign him or you keep him and let him play in the final year of his deal, uh, you got to deal with that distraction. If you do trade him, uh, you got to find a way to fill out the roster. Uh, that's obviously going to be the GM's responsibility. Uh, but you gotta, you're going to have to find a way to make it work. And off the disappointment of this season, um, I do think he's the right guy for that, for that job. Assuming they add a couple of arms to that bullpen and Sale and Price and Evaldi come back and give you something. Because he's proven with this core group that he can be really, really good. Um, and I do think he's still... Like I said last podcast, I, I you know at, at the end of last year I said he's a top five manager. I back off that, but I still think he's a, you know one of the better third manager. You know he's a top ten manager, um, and the players love him. The players love him. I think the fan base is behind him. Um, you know I think there's a lot of value in the fact that he played sixteen seasons. He played in this city, won a championship in this city. Um, you know I, I really do think he's still the right guy for the job, and I hope I'm right in there competitive or good again next year and and then he's here you know for a while yeah who who knows i and one of the things you know you mentioned the mookie trade and everything one of the reasons i hope we do get an external candidate is i feel like they're definitely likely to trade mookie and whoever that ends up being is going to want to make it his team so he's going to want to move some guys out Sign some new guys, you know, not necessarily huge signings, but, you know, fill out, you know, get get a corner infielder, and then you'll probably need a corner outfielder as well, uh, you know, since Mookie's going to be gone. 
And uh, I think he's just going to want to put his own touches on that. Uh, you know, so I, I'm curious to, to see what happens. And like I said, I give the Yankees the edge now because at least I know what they're going to be trotting out there. Um, I hope the Red Sox can, you know, make make some moves here. And sometimes when personnel changes, you know, new energy comes in and players are hungry again and, and that can spark a, a successful year. I mean, 2018, 2013, 2007, those were all years where the Red Sox led the, the division from start to finish, basically. So I'm hoping for a similar energy next year. Um, we can get into the Philly series if you want. It's only two games. Sure. Hit me with some probables, Terrence. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it is a two-gamer, and uh, weirdly, uh, tomorrow is an off day. Um, I think we did have a Friday off earlier in the year as well. But, That's uh, so weird. Yeah. Good matchups, though. I mean, if you you just want to watch baseball for whatever reason, the Sunday game is a 105 game, so probably not. <laughs> That's going to be a football uh, day. But, um but on Saturday, ace versus ace, basically. Eduardo Rodriguez versus Aaron Nola. Both uh, both guys pitching pretty well lately. And, you know, Erod's trying to get to 20 wins. He's got 17 right now. He's got a 373 ERA. He'd probably like to lower that a little bit. Um, I think... The Phillies are essentially out of it now, uh, you know, as far as a, a wild card goes. So who knows what type of vibe, you know, they're going to be playing with. I mean, we'll know the Sox will be flat. Uh, that That is a game worth watching, too. Really, you know, really good arms. Um, to say who's going to win or lose seems difficult because both teams are flat and listless um but the pitching and i think both guys are still going to be competitive erod still has to get paid so every start means a ton to him and if he can find i think he has what four starts left so if he can find a way to get three wins he's going to make himself set himself up to make some money so 20 wins is nothing to sneeze at in today's major league baseball um and i'm and i'm rooting for him um and that's that's a game worth watching, despite the fact that both teams are out of it. Liz? Uh, pretty much same. I mean, any of these interleague, you know, games are so so weird and, and wonky. I mean, they, the teams don't see each other that often. I mean, a lot of times the, the pitchers in general over time haven't, uh, you know, seen those players. So, I mean, it could go either way. I mean... Uh, I hate the Phillies, you know, for all the obvious reasons. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, you know, the Erod's gonna have the upper hand, and, and the Sox are actually gonna pull this one off and at least win that one. If, if not, I mean, the next day, which I know we'll get into, will probably be a roller coaster. And and the the Phillies are a team that very well could see its manager get fired, Gabe Kapler. You know, after another dismal season in which they were set up pretty well. Um, second game of the two, uh, Rick Porcello versus Jason Vargas, who was acquired from the Mets, 
uh, over the summer. Um, honestly, don't know what to expect. I, I mean, I, I probably have to give it to the Phillies just out of principle. Porcello got rocked his last time out, and, you know. So I think the question becomes, and again, Terry loves when I bring in other sports. Okay, talk about the Patriots. Who, who, who has more, right? Porcello runs or the Dolphins points? Ooh. And I think it's a legitimate. I think it's a legitimate prop bet. And if you set it at like six, it'd be interesting. It'd be real interesting. It would have to be six and a half, I think. But. Um... I'm not going to take a prop bet with anything having to do with Porcello. So. <laughs> I, look, I mean, I'll tell you right now, the Dolphins won. They're that pathetic, and the Patriots are looking really good. But Porcello against that lineup, uh, hitter's ballpark, hasn't pitched well in what feels like 17 years. Yeah, be, I'll give it to the Phillies. Problematic. I think we're splitting. Sounds good to me. He'll be on the on the descent on the roller coaster down the hill. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, well, hey. we've established Terry's inflexible, right, Liz? <laughs> hey, I, I I don't I in general I don't feel like Terry is inflexible. One of the things oh, I like about oh Terry, come on. Ah, oh, just because he doesn't agree with you, that's why you feel that way. But <laughs> He's I feel like, get him, Liz. I, I feel like. I feel like as a fan in general, he is flexible. And in fact, that's one of the things that made me follow and enjoy him on Twitter was the fact that he wasn't just the whole, oh, the Red Sox are the best, whatever. <laughs> He's always been critical. And, you know, maybe... Was there I a PayPal that. transaction during... Was there a PayPal or Venmo transaction during this podcast? I, this I, seems like a bought and paid for ad right now. That, that's how I've always felt. That's how I've always we're, felt. We're, and... Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> this is sickening. Where's my boy Rod? Hey, crazy underscore N two eight. Can you battle this can you fight this fight for me? Terry's inflexibility. Well, but the difference between me and you, I mean it you don't think I'm you think I'm a Red Sox fan, I'm not. You know, I know you're a Red Sox fan. No, 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 no. But you know, as I can appreciate that that critical eye of his you know he still loves the team you know both you guys are huge fans I don't know that I could pit one against the other but but I mean I I feel and not that you're not but I don't know I feel like (laughs) uh, I'm team Terry I'm sorry (laughs) he did that to me all last week Uh, I meant to have a sign ready for him but I forgot I'll have that on the next show but um Next time I'll be presentable for video and I'll have a sign too. How about that? <laughs> I have a bad take sign prepared so when bad takes like Liz's happen, I can just flash that without actually telling the listeners what I'm saying. He, he abuses Matt big time too. Um, bad take. He's the bad take extraordinaire. He, not to Ethan. It's not on the podcast, but that guy can bad I, take. I think he's central. a homer. That's all. But, uh, yeah, and as far as inflexible goes, I mean, you're never going to catch me at a yoga class. So, <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. I don't know if that body's built for yoga. Nor is <laughs> mine, by the way. So oh, God. I'm not casting stones, but. <laughs> That's right, okay. Before this thing goes even more off the rails, good night. All right. Go Pats. Good night.
Go Cowboys. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Uh, all right, so episode 168 in the books. I don't know if my Skype's hung up. It is. Okay. And, uh, yeah, just a little more on the Dombrowski fallout now that we kind of had uh, the foundation of uh, facts of what went down. And um, Alex Cora keeps his job, which that's what I wanted. You you wouldn't think that I'm necessarily pro Cora based on my uh, tweets because I, I do get a little irritated at times. But I do feel like he's a good manager. So we'll be back Sunday night to discuss the Philly series. Anything that goes down, uh, you know, as far as Red Sox transactions, developments, maybe we'll maybe we'll have a shorter list of candidates or be able to rule out certain certain people that will interview to be the uh, manager, general manager. Excuse me. So. Have a good uh, Friday and enjoy your weekend. And uh, again, we'll be back on Sunday night. Take care. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Playing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and then he makes the catch. He did. He got it. There we go. Time to party. Right here. 3 2. Championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here-